Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Cariad Lloyd. Griefcast is a place to talk, share and laugh about the peculiar human process of death and grief. Each week I talk to a different person about their experiences of grief and death as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club. Welcome to Griefcast. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey Griefsters, I hope you're having an okay week. Thank you so much for your lovely comments about last week's episode. I really loved talking to Angela. She was such a wonderful guest. And thank you for letting me know as well. Um, I'm going to say it every week because that's that's what I have to do. But I do have a book out. It's out in January. It's called You Are Not Alone, January the 19th, 2023. It's everything I've learned from the podcast over these past six years and everything I wish I had known at 15 when I joined the club. You can pre-order it now from all the usual places, all the independent places and all the other places as well. Uh, And it makes a huge difference to authors if you pre-order. It all counts as the first week of sales. So please, please do pre-order if you think you're going to probably buy it anyway. I would hugely appreciate it if you got a pre-order in. Thank you so much for listening. This week, I'm talking to the incredible Michelin-starred chef, Tom Kerridge. Tom is a incredible chef. You'll have seen him on The Great British Menu, MasterChef, Saturday Kitchen. You've probably read his cookery books as well. And uh, if you're very lucky, you'll have tasted his food. Tom came in to talk to me about his dad, who, when Tom was 18, died from complications due to MS. So, Tom, who are we remembering today? My father, my dad. And what's his name? Mike Kerridge, Michael Kerridge. Michael Kerridge, that's a lovely name. And how long ago was it that Mike died? Uh, So, uh, he passed away when I was 18, so that's 31 years ago. Gosh. You were really young then, 18's very young. Yeah, uh, but he'd been very, very ill for a long time, Mm. so that, um, it wasn't unexpected it's probably yeah it wasn't it wasn't unexpected so what did mike pass away of what happened so in the end um it was pneumonia but i he was incredibly he had multiple sclerosis that point in the 80s and early 90s was very 
it was a much misunderstood disease. I think now that there's a, a lot a lot better ways of controlling it and understanding it. But at the same point, there was obviously no cure. Mm. But yeah, it it attacks the nervous system, and he deteriorated from um, not being able to walk very well to full on electric wheelchair to ending up being completely bedridden with only being able to. I don't know. Probably remember three or four words or sentences that were were non coherent, really, as well. So they weren't. There was no form of conversation. There was no. Mm. I first found out that he had it when I was about nine or ten. Wow! So over that eight-year period, but I I imagine he must have had it for two or three years beforehand that we didn't even know about as young kids. Yeah. So, do you remember being told? Like, oh, your dad has this, or did it just sort of, you know, become up in the house and eventually you sort of picked it up, or did they sit you down and say, this is what's happening? No, it was actually um, (laughs) one of the other kids at school said. So it's, I I think it comes from when parents know something about other parents and then, you know, and kids, kids are rubbish at keeping secrets, aren't they? Very rubbish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So someone just said to you, oh, your dad's got this and you were like, oh, right. Yeah, I mean, I had no idea what it was. I think your dad was ill. So then we obviously then have that relatively open conversation at home, um, but was nothing necessarily to worry about. I mean, more importantly, I think. My, so my mum and dad split up. They were they. It was an unhappy relationship anyway. So um, they split up when I was eleven. Wow. So it ended up they living in in two separate spaces. So it, it was more concerned as being single parents rather than my father's illness was the original was the issue at first as a child. You don't seem to. You know, the illness, you don't know kind of what it is or what yeah. it's going to do or the connotations of it or have even any understanding of it. So, yeah, it's, it's, as a as a moving forward thing, it was or as for a kid to deal with, it was much more of the split up of the family unit, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, of course. That must have been something very tangible as a kid. Like, oh, they've split up. I can see that. Whereas yeah. something like I had a friend um, when I was at school whose mum had MS and was ill for a very long time. And I remember it, it it being a very like confusing thing as kids of like, oh, right, yeah, she's ill. But no one really knew, you know, we just knew that she couldn't do stuff that the other mum could do. And then eventually she was in a wheelchair, the same situation. And it was a very sort of, I guess almost, it's not quite right, but like almost Victorian in that you don't quite, it's an ill, you don't quite know what it means. Like you just know that that parent is very sick and they can't get up and do those things. Whereas when a parent is, is separating, as you said, that's a very like obvious thing for a kid to get their head around. Oh, this is happening. It's also it's also quite hard to understand, I think, for a child to explain the difference between different illnesses and what it does, and you know, and also should kids be worrying about it? Yeah. Should you really be worried about the idiosyncrasies of different illnesses? You know, it's just it's just a thing, isn't it? You know, yeah. trying to explain, I think, for a child's point of view, I kind of get why my parents went down that route i mean it was was more about being unhappy in the first place i think between the two of them that that makes it um that that's the effect that it has on you as a a child but i also think it's um it didn't and the split up doesn't affect or didn't affect myself or my brother i don't think as bad as parent as our parents thought it might or and i think when parents and people go through that situation about split splitting up or not 
and they worry about what how it'll affect the kids. I think actually you'll find kids are more resilient than than you think. You worry about them because obviously as a parent you worry yeah. that you don't want anything to have an adverse effect on them. But I think you know from my own experience it wasn't too much of an issue. It was as long as you felt that the parents loved you. It didn't matter if they loved each other. I don't think. Yeah. I, I think I think it becomes okay. You know, yeah. my brother's gone through the same situation now. He's separated from his wife over the last three years and he's got a son the same age as my son and like it's absolutely not affected him at all they you know they stay at different parents houses throughout the week there's no there's no real there's no issue so yeah. I, I i think you kind of parents you guard yourself much more than you think i think kids are quite resilient oh goodness yeah absolutely and i think also especially if it, as you said it's been unhappy it tends to be children just want it to be happy don't they they just want parents to be happy and if that situation is, is then resolved by a separation then that's you know i think children are quite practical <laughs> like great let's do that then that's what's gonna make everyone happy so was he yeah. living by himself towards the end what happened as he you know he was he in a care he was in a nursing home oh, right wow. towards the end so when they first separated he was with a, a different partner and then as that progressively got worse, his mum, my grandmother, they ended up buying a small accessible bungalow that's wheelchair accessible yeah. and a special car and whatever with the winch and things to get people in and out. And then it ended up getting to the point where the care system, we couldn't get to the point where being at home was the wrong place to be. So he ended up going into a... A, a nursing home and then stayed in a small space at his own room but was was unable to move like completely incapacitated so it was over that period of time and it, yeah it progressively got got worse so yeah he's, at the end um at the end he was in a, a room in a nursing home that was it and were you with him when he passed away no no we would see him we'd go and see him maybe once or twice a week friday evenings with the evenings Kind of after school, you pop round and see your dad for a couple of hours. But they were kind of, they were not pointless. I mean, you could see he was kind of pleased to see us or you could tell probably, but I don't really know. There was, mm. there was no form of communication. There wasn't, there wasn't anything really. So we, we weren't, we, both myself and my brother went with him. We got a phone call the next morning from the nursing home saying that he passed away in the night. God, that must have been so so difficult and especially so my dad died when I was 15 why I do this show and yeah and I remember vividly feeling like I was living in a different world to the other teenagers <laughs> and I wonder if that's how you felt a, like 18 year old lad of like having to visit your dad on a Friday evening and and not being able to communicate did you feel like you were visiting a place that not everybody was having to deal with do you know what it's kind of it, it, what, I'll be 100% honest with you, it feels like everything about my life is kind of summed up from that point, from mm. it being, my life is relatively, it's just a life of extremes and it still is now as a 49-year-old man. Everything about it is extreme. And where where we grew up, being a single-parent family was not abnormal. Mm. It was fairly standard. Most, most I would say 50% of the kids that I grew up with were, you know, either lived with their mum or their dad or were, you know, in slightly troubled or different backgrounds, you know, homes that were a bit more broken or fractured or a huge family unit where everybody lived in the same house. It was kind of like that sort of environment. That's where we grew up. So it wasn't... 
it wasn't a weird thing that we were living with single parents. So going to visit your other parent wasn't yeah. a weird, it wasn't a different thing. But going to visit your other parent, but in a nursing home mm. was, yeah. a, so it was the next level, it was the next thing. And then, yeah, when he passed away, yeah, we were the only, I mean, we were the only per- people in our group of friends whose parents, uh, one of our parents had passed away from that early age. And it just, because he was very ill, it wasn't sudden, it wasn't in a car crash, it wasn't something that was mm. unexpected, it wasn't something that just happened, it wasn't a heart attack that just, that was it, all gone, one minute is there, next minute is gone. Because he was in this de- deteriorating state that you then get to the point where it, it passes away. It wasn't not unexpected, but it was, um, I mean, it came as a shock. I mean, yeah, it's not. Yeah. It, it, but at the same point, we weren't really connected into it as a family anyway. So it's just... I did, but it does make you. It does make you. I. I think it. It do, definitely hardens you. I mean, you'll know yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, it definitely puts you into a mental state that you can. You have to learn to cope with, and you have to be able to be very solid about it, and quite grounded and quite understanding. And I think you end up being quite. It, it sounds weird, but in a way, I. It, it's been quite not a blessing, but an. Un, it's been very easy to deal with other deaths that yeah. happen within families or with a, yeah. other friends and their families or like the understanding of going through that from such a young age it's not a surprise yeah. it's not a it's not a thing that is it's been a part of my life somebody dying quite young because a lot of people don't normally have to face that until maybe they're our age yeah, now yeah. like nearly 50 you go you know that's when parents and grandparents start becoming ill or or people in your social group that you know may have some form of uh, proper illness you know you don't normally have to deal with that until I don't think your late 40s mm-hmm. death isn't normally a thing that you start having to associate with stuff so it's quite um in some ways I, I do see it as not a privilege but a weird kind of life skill you yeah. know we're we're we're, yeah. we're 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 here for you know they they help build and form characters don't they yeah and we you know we we said that a lot on the show and a lot of people who what we refer to as like the teenage grief club <laughs> of like yeah. when you join or the joke I always say is like everyone gets here eventually I just got here early I'm just laying out yeah. the, the twiglets like because I'm here early but everyone will get here and it's not um it's not that you're glad it happened it's just there are weird positives to it happening so it's not like you would go, oh, yes, that, that life, please. That one where I have to understand death really early and deal with all this pain. But it does harden you, strengthen you, make all the other stuff seem very unimportant, you know, which I think is, like you said, is a, it, it's a weird lesson to learn so early. And sometimes that can be very painful but also comes with this other stuff that, that isn't painful like when your friends are stressing about what to wear on a Friday or like who they're gonna see and, and you're like well we're all gonna die so I don't really mind <laughs> like it just <laughs> makes everything a little bit clearer so yeah I completely understand that feeling and and as you said because he was ill for so long it, it wasn't like it, it came out of nowhere but it, it's funny isn't it because I've spoken to so many people and even if the illness has been, you know, someone's been ill for like 25 years, still when they die, it's still a bit of a shock. Even though you all your brain knew it's definitely going to happen, there is that moment of like, oh, right, now I re- now they really are gone. This is, this is, the door has really closed. And you get, you understand what, what finality really means, which I think a lot of people, she said, don't find out till they're in their late 40s. 
what was the what was the funeral like did you did you speak at it or do you remember it particularly or no i didn't speak at it it was um there was a fair there was a few people there it was a cremation at um cemetery in uh, in gloucester and there was a few, there was a few people there uh, and then we scattered the ashes at the cemetery so it's kind of like um I don't know. My dad wasn't particularly... I mean, he wasn't a social creature. He was somebody that was quite... Um, as an, an introverted character in terms of his... It wasn't that he didn't like people. He yeah, just yeah. wasn't part of... He, he didn't have a huge social group. He had a few friends and a few people that were around him and a, a smaller family. Um, he was an only child. So there was no... Um, he had no brothers or sisters. So it was kind of like a, it, it was, yeah. So he came from a small family. His mum, his father, but they both passed away before he died. Mm. So it was quite, um, it was quite, the funeral was quite weird in a, in, in, in a lot of ways, because I think a lot of people there were from my mum's side. And even though they'd separated and divorced, you know, like uh, um, seven or eight years earlier, it was kind of like quite a weird it was, it was quite a weird vibe. I mean, funerals are a weird vibe anyway. I think yeah. it's a weird... If you're 18 and your brother is 15 and the, the two of us are there, it's just quite a weird vibe, isn't it? You know? Oh, my goodness, it's not, yeah. And also, I don't know, it's not put together as a celebration. We, we've grown much more now in this in this country of celebrated life, haven't yeah, we? Yeah. I think the way that funerals have moved to being remembering with sadness has now moved to, you know... All the latest funerals I've been to have all been about um, celebrating life. They're very sad, but it's actually a reflection of someone's top points of their personality and the experiences that they've done and the things that they've had and what they've achieved and all those sort of things. I think in the early 90s and late 80s, I think it was much more, there was much more kind of like, when you mentioned that Victorian style, kind of like it's kind of, it was more a reflection of sadness and, and grief, but. I don't know. It was just kind of weird. I mean, it was just, they're, they're weird anyway. And I think if it's the it's the funeral of your one of your parents and your teenagers, it's quite a hard. Like it's quite hard to uh, like emotionally. It's it's a difficult time anyway. Being a teenager oh, is a nightmare, yeah, isn't it? It's you know, so it's hard. Like, <laughs> it's so hard. And it's interesting because I was fifteen when my dad died. And my brother was nineteen. So it's like similar to you and your brother. And yeah. I remember like my dad's funeral, like just feeling very um as if I was sort of not at a party but like you know what I mean just like sort of saying hello to people and being polite and oh right yes and 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 then in the background being like oh yeah my dad is dead over there like your brain can't really process it I think it's such a huge thing and and I think also we've talked about this on the show that the adults are looking at you in a very sad way because they can see an 18 year old a 15 year old but when you're that age you don't you think well I'm a grown-up so I am on the same level as all these grown-ups but you're not obviously you're still so young at that age and they're they are looking at you with that sadness of oh you've you've lost your parent but you're sort of feeling like I remember thinking like well he was quite old (laughs) like even though my my poor dad was only 44 but I'm saying well he was old yeah 40s it's pretty old and it took me years (laughs) to get to get older to see a 15 year old from that perspective and be like oh god I was really young I didn't really understand it is a very it is a little patronizing though mm. I, I think for to look back and feel sorry for you like as an adult now if I was an adult now and uh, and to think oh poor them well actually 
Yeah, it's very sad for everybody, right? For yeah. everybody, no matter how you're connected to your father or my father or whatever, you know, it's sad for someone. But at the same point, that's helped make you yeah. that person, you know, that, that, that strength, that, that... So I get it if, if you're five or six and how you're going to grow up with, without a parent. And, but then maybe another parent comes along, you know. I, I think we all deal with that sadness in a, in a slightly different way. And I get it if, if you're a grown-up and an adult and you're looking at it and, and you haven't experienced what we've been through mm. and you look at somebody and you think, you know, oh, that must be so sad and horrible for them. But actually that experience it is really sad and it is really horrible. But when you're there... You, like you say, you're slightly removed from it yeah. and you're trying to work out how you're going to build from it and how you're going to get on with it and how you're connected to it because it isn't your wife, mm. right, or, or husband. It isn't your other half. It is a figure, a father figure of somebody that was there or somebody, I, I mean, I, I think everybody deals with it slightly differently, but I do think that, you know, and we talked about it earlier, kids are quite resilient. And I think even as teenagers, it, the, these are things that happen in your life that help structure and build you into being something else. So, yes, feel feel sadness, but don't necessarily feel patronisingly sorry for somebody because this yeah. will be in the future, 15, 20 years time, a thing that has helped structure them into being a position of wherever they're at. It's a, it's a massive bar of mental strength and resilience that will come in a life experience that not many other people get you know it's, yeah. it, it, it's something that you know it's not an opportunity but it is a layer of something and a layer of your personality and a layer of your strength of character that not many other people will get to understand experience or have yeah no i i understand what you're saying and I've definitely felt that as I've got older of people being like, oh God, that's so awful when you tell them and you think, well, I mean, I'm, I'm all right. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I remember I did a gig once with someone and, and they told this story of like, that they, that they had, they had been very sick and, and obviously that was awful. And they had imagined their child growing up without them and how awful it would have been for their child not to have them as a teenager and, and not to know that they, that, that, you know, went to university and all this stuff. I remember sitting there thinking, oh, well, that's my life. <laughs> and I remember thinking, wow, your worst nightmare, this man was saying, oh God, thank God I didn't die, which obviously, thank God he didn't die. But was, was his worst nightmare was my life. And I sort of thought, oh, it's funny, isn't it? Because there you are telling everyone, imagine if my children had had to go through that. And here I am being the child that went through that. And, and I'm all right. Like, obviously, you said, it's the two things are true. I think that sometimes what's difficult with grief is like, I have been so sad and it has been so hard and there's been so much pain. But at the same time, I'm all right. Like, I've been okay. Yeah. And it has been such a strength. Definitely, definitely. I can't. I can't undo it from who I am today. It really does. It's a fundamental like part of, of who I am that I went through that experience and that I learned that lesson. As I said, equally, I wouldn't have like picked it off the shelf as choice number one for things to do at 15. <laughs> but you don't have a say. And if you don't have a say, you kind of make the best of, of these situations that come to you. Mm-hmm. 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to Griefcast with Carrie Ad Lloyd. So you were just 18 when you've gone through all this. When did you start sort of moving into the career that you have now did that come very quickly do you feel like the grief drove you into like right I know what I want to do with my life or did you have those years of like oh god who am I what does this mean no I was, honestly I was, I was very lucky I ended up in a kitchen around about 18 wow. and just being this uh, ended up the, an industry that found me and which is great you know I I, I walked in there and it's weird I talk about it lots of times about kitchens and feeling that it's a little bit like a pirate ship that there's lots of waste and strays of societies and people that are slightly left field way of thinking and you know I it, it is it's an alien environment to many people you know mm. it, 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 you know kitchens are like the insides of submarines or they're kind of like it's a different environment it's a work zone that if you walk into and you don't know what's going on it's quite, I mean, it can be quite daunting and quite terrifying and quite, and it is full of like slightly, I suppose, not society dropouts, although there can be a lot of them in kitchens, but people that deal with life in a very different way, you know, yeah. the, the, it's well documented, the amount of substance abuse, alcohol, uh, um, drugs, whether the, uh, some form of addiction issues, um, the the type of people that sometimes find themselves in kitchens or working in hospitality, but that's because everybody's welcome. It's an industry that is embraced by um, you. You provide 
the excitement of going out for people with dull, mundane, everyday lives that then on a weekend go out to restaurants or go out to bars or clubs or go out to whatever else. And if you're in hospitality, you know, people come to your hotel, they stay there for for weekends or or getaways or holidays or whatever, and you're providing that environment of fun. But then if you're in that environment of fun your whole life, Mm. you're then already sucked into this world that is about slightly excessive fun times people being there when where where if you've got a um a kind of a mindset of wanting to play hard work hard do the like it's an environment that embraces everybody and it does it doesn't matter on your background whether it's economic uh social sexuality race religion none of it matters in the industry hospitality is the most embracing and most eclectic uh mix of people that it but you can see very easily the formed career paths as well. You can see there's so much structure to through beginning at the bottom and making yeah. your way to management. You can understand it and you can see it not in one particular business. You can see it all throughout the levels of hotels. You know, you've got two, three, four, five star hotels. You've got no mission stars, one, two and three mission star restaurants. You've got, you know, you can you can see there's that kind of infrastructure so it's very easy to read and be a part of it. And I think that industry, when I walked into it as an 18-year-old, I just suddenly felt a part of something that was left field, something different, which was very similar to my teenage years growing up with my dad being very ill mm. and passing away early. I was the only person and the only one that came from, that went from my school into being a cook or particularly in my year that I know of. You know, that everybody else ended up being a builder or working in offices or, you know, there's another friend of mine who has this not quite the same background but is also slightly um removed like he ended up being a professional sportsman and then my other mate the three of us he ended up being a professional he was an actor and performer so the three of us ended up in slightly different careers mm. like the three best mates ended up in three different roles or jobs that weren't the norm if you sat down with your careers advisor in 1986 and said where what shall I be you know you would tell I mean I was told I should be a a, a prison warder or a, a beauty therapist if I was female and it was just kind of like that was such 80s kind of infrastructure and it was just like and that's because I think there was probably a shortness of prison warders during the 80s yeah. so it was kind of like you know it's kind of like and they would just be like pushed into they weren't aspirational. They weren't ever about it being career or life driven. They were about a job. Yeah. It wasn't about it being um, some form of life that you want. It wasn't about entrepreneurial spirit. It wasn't about backing yourself and believing in yourself and mm. becoming something. It was always about, OK, what gaps need fill in? What jobs should these people do? So... It, the hospitality industry is one that all of a sudden you can see if you go, oh, well, I want to do quite well at something and I can see how well I'll do at this. And also the environment is really good fun. So that was about the same age, yeah, that I walked into that industry. It's interesting, I guess, that you, yeah, I just think it's, it's interesting, you, you know, you said your dad passed away at 18 and then the hospitality industry was there almost providing, like you said, a slightly unusual family arrangement of like everybody welcome this is the, the you know underneath the ship this is where we all are we all doesn't matter what you're going through and I wonder if you felt like that was a place where you could have your grief and perhaps nobody would 
you know what I mean? You could just, you could be there with that pain and no one was going to question it or bother you about it. it. Like everybody else had equally interesting, bizarre stories that had led them to there. Or am I being, am I jumping into it? Yeah, no, I don't, no, I think it's, the, the weird thing is like, I, I don't think I've grieved about it at all. Oh, okay. Like I don't think, I, I think I, le- I was quite, I was sad mm. about it, but I didn't, I don't think I've ever grieved about it. Wow. I don't think I, it's not been it's not been a thing. It's been something that it's something that's happened in my life that I've put into a certain space. Mm. Do you know what? Now I feel more sad about it now than I did when I was eighteen. I think and and growing up and becoming part of that person because because he was very ill, so it wasn't like he was living a life mm. that was suddenly taken away. I wasn't necessarily connected to him in any way because his illness and also was separated as a family and he wasn't necessarily the best husband I don't think mm. but it's only now that I feel a bit sadder about it but that's because now I'm a dad and I reflect mm. on the points of you know like you were talking about the guest that you're the person that you were talking to previously that thank god I didn't die and you because you're living you imagine it being the dad, yeah. not the kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you imagine being the dad. I don't want to miss... See, if I was in the same situation, I don't want to miss my little man growing up. Mm. I don't want to miss all those things. All the stuff that I've been able to do and achieve and being able to build businesses and create and experience it that I had. My dad had no idea that I was going to do any of it. Mm. Like, it had no no sense that I was going to do any of it and has no, you know, and has never been able to see it. And you go, I only imagine it now being a parent thinking that, my God, I am going, I'm going to die. This is inevitable. This is something that's going to happen. The only bit that I don't want to miss out on is me experiencing what they're going to do. Do you know what I mean? So that, so it's only now I think it's being a parent that I can reflect on it in sadness. And that's only because I can imagine what it must have been like for him. I don't know what his mental state was like because he was in no space to be able to communicate or say. So you don't really, you don't really know any of it, Mm. but you can only imagine, can't you? So it's only now that I think back to it and I think, okay, well, that, that, I mean, if he was fully capacitated in the mind, but the rest of it wasn't working, it must have been incredibly hard and difficult and sad just from a parenting point of view. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, abs- absolutely. And I think um, it's interesting, again, all the stuff I've read about the teenage club is that you don't grieve for quite a long time. And I definitely experienced that. It took me to my yeah 30s before I could even look at it because I think you're in this place where something happened to you when you were so young that you didn't really have like you said you're sort of removed from it you don't have the vocabulary for it it's a very confusing thing and I definitely spent like my 20s running away from it or just being like oh it doesn't matter it's just a thing that happened no big deal and then by the time I got to my 30s I was like oh I think it mattered (laughs) I think I might need to think about that and I definitely I've got um two kids and that has been a huge extra part of the grief for me of like that sort of you sort of go into another room you know and you're like oh I see this is what it looks like from the parenting point of view and as you said for your dad to to not know what you were then you know the huge achievements that you've had and the huge success and the creativity that's come from like you said that 18 year old just going into the kitchen and being like oh right wow what's this oh okay and it's it's really it's such a sadness that they that's the thing, this this double-edged sword that is losing a parent of, like, it gives you so much strength, but 
the other edge to it is there's a sadness they didn't know they don't know they don't get to see all these things and they don't get to experience that and yeah it's just there's nothing you can do about it is it it's just it's just that's the truth of it. <laughs> it's life. It yeah. makes it very hard. Yeah. It? It, it makes it very hard. The, the reality is every day someone dies. <laughs> you know, every yeah. day someone is dying. Every day someone is going through this process. Every day someone... And if you dwell on the sadness of it, of going, oh, they didn't get to see this or they didn't experience that or they didn't... No, they, they, they didn't. Uh, but, there, I mean, there is absolutely nothing you can do and you can't live in the past and I think that is one of the 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 bonuses of it happening if you're like you say the teenage club when it happens I think it's quite easy because you've got so much in front of you yeah so you're always looking forward you're not looking at oh I'll never be able to do that again or I'll never be able to see this again or I'll never be able you can you can look in front of you and if if you have a positive mindset if you're a person with with the outlook of life that you know the glass is half full rather than half empty it can be you know something that helps build and strengthen character and it is positivity of looking forward but there is nothing you can do about it you can't you can't bring somebody back it's happened it's there you can feel the sadness from it but I really don't think you can't dwell on it forever I don't think Mm. how have you felt with your your son have you talked about your dad in that way or has that been sort of like two separate parts of your trying to yeah you know connect him back to who you must remember him when you were little obviously before he got sick yeah no well I do but also because the relationship between my mum and dad was quite strained there Mm. wasn't really a father figure even at all in that point of view it wasn't like we were go we weren't even you know we weren't taken to football matches or gone to rugby training or done whatever all of that happened the moment they separated my mum and then engaged in much more of um everything else that we did so but also he was ill you know there, there's a lot of there's so many different things you can look yeah. back on, on the problems that, that my, you know that's a different story you know that that's a whole different story of my mum and dad's relationship is something that's very different than how that affects you as a child like that's yeah. probably more effective than him being ill but yeah we have talked about it with AC he, he asks you know he asks because obviously so Beth's dad is still alive best granddad is still you know and very active and running around and whatever so there's much more of a connection into um an understanding of beth's dad or granddad so ac does ask about my dad Mm. and what was he like what when did he die and it's weird because he's six years old and and the question about death comes up quite a lot it's a thing i think that they're beginning to engage with or understand you know whether it's through watching cartoons or or what you know one of the first things that my mum always talks about or laughs about with the first experience of death is when she watched Bambi you know like in the opening the opening bit where yeah, Bambi's yeah. mum gets like it's just like I mean it's quite a dark yeah you can't watch that now it's not okay now it was fine when we were kids so now it's not yeah, okay it's kind of like so I think at that point he's, he's beginning to understand a little bit that people are around yeah. forever and he and he does talk about it and has asked about it and does um trying to understand family because my family is still quite big my brother's almost almost remarried and so they've got he's got four kids and then there's a conversation with that and then best side of the family she's got a sister and a brother and the sister's got two kids and the, you know there's a lot there's a there's a much bigger family connotation we, we, we'll all go on holidays together we all do you know we do lots of things together so just trying to piece together he's trying to piece together yeah. um where my dad would have fitted in that jigsaw in that conversation 
And I think, I mean, I mean, that's healthy. And we talk about it. And we, I say he wasn't very well. He was very ill for a long time. So, you know, the understanding. So he, which is good because at some point in his life, he's going to have to have an understanding that somebody is not very well. At, yeah. And someone's going to part. Before he's my age, somebody he knows or someone's parent he knows or somebody somewhere along the lines, you know, he will encounter some form of death, won't yeah, he? Yeah. You know, I mean... It's inevitable. It's going to be a grandparent. It's going to be a whatever. Like, so the understanding of it is something that happens. So having that conversation with him, I think, is is is, is healthy in a, in a good way. You know, yeah. talking about the past of somebody being there and he passed away when I was quite young. And Yeah, you I know. interviewed um, Michael Rosen and he described, it's like the nicest description I found of like what kids do is that they're trying to sort in the same way that they like, oh, all the pencils go in here. And then like, they're like, well, I'm a pencil. Where do I go? So where's my dad? So where's your dad? Because they want to see where everything fits. And I thought that's such yeah. a nice way of making it not scary. Because obviously my daughter, same. She only has one grandparent, my mum. And, you know, someone, her friend was talking about her granddad. She was like, oh, we don't, I don't have a granddad. Where's my granddad? And, you know, you just have those conversations. And I agree with you. I think the more... You can have them now in a kind of light, positive way where it's not, oh, somebody's just died. I think is is a really good thing that they are aware of it before it, you know, they're like, what? What is death? And the more you try and hide them from it, the, you know, it doesn't make sense, even though I don't, I don't know if watching Bambi is <laughs> quite the way to no, do well, it these I days. Mean, I mean, to be honest, since, since, since Ace has been with us, I mean, we, we've had the death of two dogs in six oh, years. Well, do you know what yeah. I mean? So he kind of... Like the understanding of that, he's very good with understanding that the, the circle of light. I quite, you know, he's very good with animals. Yeah. And he loves animals and he loves watching animal videos, but he also loves watching like quite horrific animal videos of things like at lions attacking gazelles and just like just the understanding <laughs> yeah, of the process of it all and then living through the process of having to have one dog put down and one passing away in the night very old they were both yeah. one was very ill and one was just really 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 old oh, and you just go but but he was very good at dealing with it because yeah. i think we've been quite open with those conversations yeah so you know, I think it's it's just a good way of dealing with it. I think I do, you don't want it to be a shock to the system. Like no. I am quite good at dealing. I'm quite good at dealing with death and the situations of it because I think just because of the experience of uh, that shared experience that we've had. Yeah. You know, I think you become quite. You've almost got like a force field up, haven't you? Yeah. You've almost got like this some um, sort of superpower. Yeah. That, because we earned it quite early doors. I definitely think as you said, as you get older and and you have friends who are more shocked by it and you're like, oh yeah, of course they died. <laughs> like, if they're like, oh my God, so-and-so died. You're like, yeah, that's that's what happens. And I'm terrible for if somebody survives something, if someone's ill and they're like, oh, they're actually okay. I'm like, are they? <laughs> oh, I thought they were going to die. <laughs> I'm much more like, oh, all right, people survive something. And yeah, you, you said it, the force field is a, ni- a nice way of, of thinking of it. It does, um, yeah. it definitely gives you that give you that strength it's a superpower yeah i know so a lot of people have referred to it as that and i yeah if you can see it like that i think that's brilliant because it's it's a very painful thing for a lot of people and if you can find as you said as you clearly have that positiveness to it and the strength to it i think that's it's very helpful to get through it and when you do lose someone young like you said you've got a whole future to get through so (laughs) you do need to 
to prep yourself for it. Um, Tom, thank you so much for talking to me about Mike and about your experiences with grief and death. I really, really appreciate it. It was so lovely. Thank you. It's a pleasure, mate. No worries. Thanks for having us on. Tom's book, Real Life Recipes, is out now and is full of amazing, delicious looking food. You can find more information about Tom. Head to his website, tomkerridge.com. That's K-E-R-R-I-D-G-E. The show was recorded remotely. It was edited by Kate Holland. Music was provided by the Glue Ensemble. Artwork by Jade Perkin. The book, as I said, is available to pre-order now. It's called You Are Not Alone and you can pre-order it from all good bookstores. Uh, The good ones, the big ones, the small ones. And remember, as the book says, you are not alone. Thank you for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.